Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I think our phones have finally calmed down after all the call activity we had yesterday for Jerry Jenkins' book, The Chosen, The Chosen Novels. We've got another great giveaway to share with you today, plus a special edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast where we talk about the web telescope findings and all those remarkable pictures that people have been watching. The heavens really do declare the glory of God. And uh, John and Bob and Neil and yours truly get into that. And then we get into, in the second half of the podcast, the podcast-only side, we get into the issue of UFOs. And <laughs> yeah, just the whole, what, what do we in the body of Christ make of that stuff? If you haven't signed up to start receiving or getting the notifications on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Go to myhopenow.com, go to crawfordmediagroup.net. Be sure to support our great sponsor, Preborn, a fantastic pro-life ministry uh, that is seeing tremendous results in helping women uh, who think they only have one option when they face a an unplanned pregnancy, realize that they have three, and Preborn will help you with two of them. The third one, they'll let you know. Obviously, you know that abortion still is an option in many states, but there are better, more excellent ways to deal with a, a an unplanned pregnancy, and Preborn has them. You'll find all that information at the National Crawford Roundtable, uh, which is at myhopenow.com. And um, I have to let you know, though, I don't know about the other guys, but my video didn't work this past week for yesterday morning's reporting. And so, therefore... Um, you just get a you'll get a still screenshot of me on the video part. Anyway, um, today first half hour we're talking Roe versus Wade, and we're talking about uh, some one of the nastier parts. I mentioned yesterday that uh, some of uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's neighbors are frustrated now. Even the pro-abortion neighbors are uh, are furious with the people who are coming out from uh, all over the country and showing up, and they're annoying the neighbors in the neighborhood they're attacking the Kavanaugh family especially the children and you know what's interesting to me is the number of people who will fight for the pro-abortion side for example and then something like this happens and there was one woman that's interviewed in the article that we have up at the bottom line show.com she's a passionate pro-abortion activist i mean this is a woman who was out making signs she was protesting when this first happened she may have even been one of the organizers saying hey i know where brent kavanaugh lives let's go ahead and you know do this but here we are we are a month past the supreme court decision that overturned roe versus wade we are nearly let's see all of may all of june we're three months past the leak which i the more i think about the the leak of the supreme court decision um I'm convinced it was Democrat operatives who were looking. They knew they weren't going to win this thing. They knew there was at least a 5-4 majority. And it's interesting how many people will say it was 5-4 to four in favor of overturning Roe. John Roberts actually voted for the majority. He voted in support of supporting Dobbs. Um, he wrote a concurrent, uh, not a dissent, but basically for the way I understand it, his opinion was, I think that the overturning of Roe, if you will, should only apply to Mississippi and not to the country on the whole. Um, so he was, the other five outvoted him and love him or hate him, three of those five justices that overturned Roe versus Wade were appointed by Donald Trump. So, um, you know, love him or hate him, the, the presidential legacy always begins and ends with whom did you appoint to the Supreme Court? And so from that standpoint alone, uh, Trump wins. But the abortion crowd started raising money. And, of course, Democrats experienced a huge uptick in their fundraising. So they know their crowd. 
All you have to do is say, we're losing fundamental rights for women, and all of a sudden, here come the checkbooks, right? But what's interesting about what's happening now is the number of people on the pro-abortion side who announced that they would be attacking pro-life organizations, anybody who upholds the sanctity of human life. So churches, pro-life organizations, parachurch ministries, were all pretty much fair game. And the media yawned. A church is firebombed. An abortion clinic is firebombed. A, 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 a temple is, is graffitied. It was one church in New York where they, there was a $2 million gold statue on an altar. I don't know why the Basilica needed a $2 million statue, but I digress. Vandalized, stolen. Media doesn't care. President Biden, would you say anything to... De- nope. This is something about leftism that you will not find on the side of true conservatism. Uh, Our friend and colleague Jenna Ellis likes to say that when we talk about conservative values, it means that we are upholding values that are designed to conserve the union here, to keep our nation safe, to keep it focused on what we are actually trying to preserve, as it were. Progressives just think that everything in their way should be run over because we keep making progress. So we destroy the stuff we don't like and we build up the things we do like until we don't like them and then we destroy them again. So the idea that a woman would get fundamental rights that would make her equal to a man, if you tell a woman that enough times, uh, the pro-abortion crowd believes it. And if you take away abortion, you're taking away my rights, which is not true at all. But that's what they believe. It's not unconstitutional. The Supreme Court was not acting in a legislating from the bench mode. Quite the opposite. Justice Alito made it very clear in his majority opinion that what they were doing was actually returning this issue to the states, which is the truly constitutional decision to make. Now, if all 50 states and the District of Columbia pass radically wild abortion laws, that is their right as states. If the legislatures pass the votes, if these votes, I would hope they would come up uh, on the ballot, like California has Proposition 1 already queued up and ready to go, and already the left is freaking out. You know what's going to happen? All these conservatives are going to come in here and they're going to vote it down, and then we're going to lose our fundamental rights. I I would love to see Proposition 1 be defeated, but I don't know that Proposition 1 being defeated means the end of abortion in California. But scare tactics raise money. Both sides do this, so I get it. But quite frankly, I am really disgusted at the Democrats on the House of Representatives and in the Senate for not more vehemently and passionately denouncing the violence that they are actually encouraging with their silence. That's hit 50 different organizations so far of the pro-life world. Now, Elizabeth Warren could do her verbal attacks. They're not licensed. They don't do They don't provide abortive care. So they're they're obviously criminals. Look, I've toured pro-life pregnancy help centers, as have you. We're moving away from crisis pregnancy centers to turning them into pregnancy help centers because that's what they provide. If you go to an abortion clinic, you will not walk out with free formula and diapers. You will not get a free pregnancy test. You won't get to see the ultrasound that the abortionist has to perform to make sure they don't screw up when they're killing your child in the womb. You go to a pregnancy help center, free birth, uh, not free birth control, free pregnancy test, free ultrasound. 
They have clothes you can get at. They've got uh, referrals for uh, counseling, for adoption, all sorts of different issues. The pregnancy help centers are winning. And there are three times, four times more pregnancy help centers in the United States than there are Planned Parenthoods. But you would think that the senseless violence that the left decries, here's a white nationalist shooting up the top friendly market in Buffalo. We, de- we denounce that. Of course you should. Absolutely should. We denounced it here on the bottom line. There is no place in America for sane, normal people to say, I'm mad at you because of the color of your skin. I'm going to get a weapon or two, and I'm going to plan for months to shoot and kill you because of the color of your skin. There's no place for that in America. And as a conservative guy, I could easily, all day, every day, probably in my sleep, make that claim. At the same time, if, a, if the pro-life community were blowing up Planned Parenthood, remember the Colorado Springs uh, issue? That was a seven, eight years ago, Thanksgiving weekend. And oh my gosh, that crazed gunman and those poor people trapped in a Planned Parenthood. And it turned out he was going after somebody. I'm not really sure who and Planned Parenthood is where he ran out of gas to save the babies save the babies he was not well there was that bomb threat also in Colorado that turned out to be a disgruntled uh, client of an attorney didn't like the way his case was going and then what happened at the end well they tried to blow up a Planned Parenthood no actually they didn't they parked in front of a Planned Parenthood and tried to blow up a lawyer's office with a bad homemade device that didn't go anywhere But conservatives all across the board denounced that kind of activity. So why is it that when Congressman Mike Johnson this past Tuesday introduced House Resolution 1233 that includes the language, it would condemn the violence directed at churches and pro-life organizations by pro-abortion activists, it got shot down, literally and figuratively. It would express the sense of the House of Representatives condemning the recent attacks on pro-life facilities, groups, and churches. The resolution noted that since May the 2nd, 2022, and the leak of the Supreme Court's draft opinion in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case, individuals professing anti-life views have targeted, destroyed, or vandalized numerous pro-life groups and even churches to further their radical cause. The resolution listed examples of the vandalism directed at churches before and after Dobbs. Johnson's resolution would have declared that the House would, quote, condemn recent attacks on vandalism, violence, and destruction against pro-life facilities groups and churches, would recognize the sanctity of life, and the important role pro-life facilities groups and churches play in supporting pregnant women, infants, and families. The resolution urged the Biden administration to use all appropriate law uh, authorities to uphold public safety. And yet, in a vote, House Democrats refused the request to even consider the resolution. The House has agreed to begin debate on the three pieces of legislation. It's a party line vote. and There's a majority of Democrats in the House. On Tuesday, the House approved the Respect for Marriage Act, but had no time for Mike Johnson's resolution. The House Rules Republicans tweeted out, House Democrats refused the request to consider Representative Mike Johnson's resolution condemning the escalating violence and vandalism by radical left-wing activists that care for pregnant women, infants, and families. But they passed a Right to Contraception Act and the Respect for Marriage Act. 
but no condemnation. And resolutions aren't legally binding. They just say we stand with the people who are being victimized. But no, they didn't want any part of that. Well, I guess it starts with the president of the United States and the speaker of the House of the United States claim faith in Christ as Catholics, but then they go after anybody who wants to take away abortion. The American Life League has been fighting this battle, especially Catholic to Catholic, since 1979. And the executive vice president of the American Life League, Hugh Brown, has a response to President Biden's executive order on trying to codify Roe versus Wade into law. We're going to talk about that. I'll talk about that with him on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. And I said, well, 4D money is a fun thing. It's exactly the opposite of what you have now with your one-dimensional account with Ameritrade. You've been watching that thing drop like a rock since the first of the year. You're probably fed up with it. I said, this account, number one, the money never goes down. Number two, it has inflation benefits. Number three, it has long-term care benefits. Number four, it has permanent income benefits. And so when you put all these things on the same page and show it to a client, it sounds too good to be true. And that was his comment to me. I said, well, you know me a long time. You know it's true. I don't make stuff up. So he met with Tess, and we moved his Ameritrade account in a matter of 30 minutes. Asked Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. It's amazing to see what happens when the Supreme Court does a ruling that uh, most of us agree is very constitutional in nature, like overturning Roe versus Wade, and how the left responds to it. President Biden on July the 8th actually signed an executive order that would, in, for all intents and purposes, overturn the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And now Congress is getting ready to actually vote on a piece of what they call emergency legislation that will, they hope, uh, get everything back to the way they like it in their world, and also uh, maybe even going a little bit beyond that, too. Hugh Brown is the vice president of American Life League. We've got a link for their website up at thebottomlineshow.com. They've been fighting the good fight for the sanctity of human life for many, many years, and Hugh is joining me here. to I wanted to get his reaction to the president's uh, movement with the executive order, and then also what Congress is doing trying to codify all of this heinous uh, manipulation into law. Hugh Brown, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Well, let's talk about this because, I mean, the, we saw what happened on June 24th. I mean, for all these years that we've had to say January 22nd, 1973, because that's the day Roe versus Wade passed. Now we have June 24th, 2022 as the day that Roe was overturned. And it took the White House maybe two weeks before the president signed yet another executive order saying, I want to, quote unquote, protect women's health. And now you've got the Congress trying to pass legislation that would basically undo what the Supreme Court has done constitutionally. First and foremost, you guys have been at this for a long time. Talk about your reaction to the Supreme Court decision that effectively overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I know it's been a long battle for American Life League and other organizations. It has been a long battle. Yes, my mother is the founder of our organization. She actually uh, has been working in this movement since Roe versus Wade uh, was made into law back in the early 70s. She worked for National Right to Life. She created the American Life League later in the 1970s uh, based on the principles of, of Catholic teachings of the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. And, you know, we have, she, she's been involved in this from day one. 
And, you know, our response to Roe versus Wade, look, Roe versus Wade from the standpoint of the cost of human life is incalculable. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the standpoint of just something being created out of nothing, it clearly was unconstitutional. From, so from the larger, much more important standpoint that 63 million people through surgical abortions had been murdered since Roe mm-hmm. versus Wade, mm-hmm. it, it's very, it's almost impossible to express the, 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 the gratitude and the the, 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 the just the joy that that absolutely horrendous decision has been overturned. And from the standpoint of being a, an American, right, it is certainly unconstitutional to create rights out of nothing, right. that, as was pointed out in this most recent overturning of, of Roe versus Wade, that it never existed to begin with. You know, I'm so glad you brought clearly, that up. You know, well, Hugh, I, I just want to interject here. I'm glad you brought that up because sure. one of the things that we saw in the majority opinion with Justice Alito was the fact that he said, look, we have we have looked through the Constitution. We do not see any constitutional right. And yet the media has absolutely no trouble whatsoever saying this was a fundamental constitutional right. This this has been you know enshrined in the Constitution forever. And I can't believe they're taking away these fundamental rights. And I'm thinking, wait, first of all, a fundamental right, quote unquote, was invented on January 22nd, 1973. And basically all the majority of the justices did, the way I understand this, is they reset back to what the Constitution actually says about this type of practice, which is it's a state's issue, not a federal issue. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So there's a number of ways to look at it. If we look at it strictly from the pro-life perspective, you know, we were hopeful that the justices would recognize the fact that at the moment of a human being's creation in their mother's womb, they're a human being. Right. Right. Because that is essentially what the founders of this country with zero technology recognize. Right? <laughs> yes. That yes. We all have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit. And, and they didn't even have electricity for Pete's sake. So, you know, simplicity and I think common sense was a little more abundant uh, then. Sure. So creating this right out of nothing, as I explained to my, one of my sons, we were talking about it, though, when the decision was written, uh, one of the justices kept referring to penumbra which are illumin it does you have to even google the word they're illuminations and hidden meanings within the document itself that's just garbage that's nonsense right. i mean we could apply anything to that it just right. this this decision was created it was political uh, as we said from day 1 abortion is not a political issue it's a moral issue human beings should be protected from the moment of their creation until their natural death that's a god-given right not one given by the federal government and the fact is if you've asked the federal government working so vehemently now to try to to overturn and establish abortion and enshrine it in law just shows you sort of the how how much we as the people at least politically have lost our way there mm-hmm. there should be outrage at that um, you and I are talking as we were in the moment of our creation that began and we're still learning and growing today many years later every person created in his or her mother's womb deserves that same right to life it right. it's not complicated Yeah, it certainly isn't. Uh, Hugh Brown is with me today here on The Bottom Line, Executive Vice President of the American Life League. We've got a link for their site up at thebottomlineshow.com, of course, rejoicing over the fact that Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, but now frustrated with the fact that, first of all, President Biden issued an executive order on July the 8th saying that he wants to not only overturn the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but actually uh, enshrine abortion into uh, American life. And now the members of the House of Representatives scheduled with a whole series of emergency votes right before they conveniently dash off for summer vacation uh, to make sure that abortion becomes one of those uh, th- those laws. And, and, and Hugh, to be fair, uh, not that we want to see this happen in the Congress, but 
oftentimes uh, people would look at the abortion debate and say, well, it, you know, it's constitutionally protected. And you and I both know it was not per se because it was easily overturned. But there is always the possibility that states like here in the People's Republic of California, uh, laws could be passed. <laughs> and that that could, in fact, actually become the law of the land just as much as it is in states like Texas and Mississippi and places like that where abortion has been banned. There's a legal battle going on, but also there's a moral dilemma to it. I want you to address this because you brought up the fact that uh, the American Life League was was founded, you know, on, on the, the teachings of the Catholic Church. You have a president who professes to be Catholic. You have a Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third most important, most powerful person in the United States government, also professing Catholics, who seem to be coming at you and your organization and pro-lifers everywhere, um, saying. You know, uh, yeah, we're Catholic, but we think women should have the right to be able to murder a child in the womb. How does the American Life League take, I mean, what kind of actions have you taken? Have you had any kind of dialogue with the White House to try to get them to see the hypocrisy of their position? So that is a fantastic question. That That is a fight that we began, I can't tell you how many decades ago. It came to, to prominence and it came to the to public light in 2004. Mm-hmm. when uh, then Bishop Burke, who's now Cardinal Burke, was in St. Louis, and he was asked the question, clearly probably set up by a reporter, that if then-presidential candidate John Kerry were to present himself for Holy Communion in his diocese, would he allow him to receive the body and blood of Christ? And the, car- and the bishop said, of course not. So that began very much our public entry into the question of if a human being claims to be Catholic, yet they support uh, the intrinsic evil of killing children, are they Catholic? No, they're not, right? I mean, the, the canon law is very clear. Anyone that, that, that persists in the support of manifest grave evil, which if abortion isn't manifest grave evil, then there is no such thing as manifest grave evil. Right. But he or she is not only to be denied the, the body and blood of Christ because it's a sacrilege, but they are no longer Catholic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Joe Biden hasn't been Catholic. He, he was first elected to public office in 1972. Roe came in in 73. His entire public life, abortion has been legal. And he hasn't lifted a finger to stop it. And mm-hmm. 63 million people have died. And right. that's surgical abortions. That's not chemical. So Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, we, uh, a dialogue? We certainly have tried. But it, back in the day, Planned Parenthood used to put out a list of their number one enemies. And we were number one. Oh. And they stopped putting that list out because we raised a lot of money on it. Um, as I told <laughs> yeah. people, when the devil spits on you, it's a good thing. Yes, so yeah. We have tried. We certainly we don't we don't agree with the pastoral approach, as, as Pope Francis says, because people die as 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 priests and cardinals and bishops worry about offending people's feelings. Uh, Christ didn't do that. He told us very much how to deal with hypocrites, and that's what this man is. He's he's not Catholic. It's it's an embarrassment. It's a shame. But you do have courage, Roger. You have Bishop Cordleone mm-hmm. in San Francisco yes, that yes. told Nancy Pelosi. And there, if you go to our website, there's a link there. At that time, back in May, there were 13 bishops that immediately tweeted, you know, support. Uh, Bishop Strickland, uh, Bishop Paprocki, many great bishops that gave amazing statements, said these people aren't Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, that, But that doesn't get news, Roger. The only thing that gets news is that Nancy Pelosi and her hubris goes to Rome and receives the Eucharist two, two Sundays ago mm-hmm. in the presence of the Pope and then gets a hug for it. I mean, clearly— we live in a time of mass confusion, and that's why we know that our hope is not in man, it's in Christ. And we have to remember his church is run by people, and they're just as infallible as you and I, and we just have to be able to work through that confusion because the truth is invincible and unchanging. 
Hugh Brown is the executive vice president of the American Life League. We have a link for their website up at thebottomlineshow.com where you can see those statements from all those different priests and bishops and members of the Catholic Church. You take the final moments of our time together here because you're talking to kind of an ecumenical crowd in terms of, you know, the Christian faith. Um, there, uh, there, you hear a lot of pastors on the evangelical side or maybe with the Protestant denominations that would, I know here in Southern California, the 40 Days for Life crowd, there's one that's run by the Catholic side. There's one that's more a little evangelical. But as we're seeing more and more bishops and more priests stepping up and actually making this part of their homilies, making this part of their their public social media, um, I also at the same time am unfortunately very acutely aware of the number of evangelicals who are saying, well, you know, when we talk about this type of stuff, it's a dividing rod in our church and we don't want to see membership get halved. We don't want to see any of those problems happen. Give a word of encouragement to members of all clergy in the Christian faith to say, look, the time is now, the battle line has been drawn. And basically this becomes a sin of omission if we don't speak up against this evil. That's an outstanding point. And it speaks very directly, Roger, to courage. Courage, you know, comes from 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 within, uh, and, and Scripture says that you know the Lord, that that the wisdom of the Lord uh, from generation to generation is with those that fear Him, and we have to we have to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all all our soul, and realize that courage courage is a choice, and worrying about declining membership, worrying about what people might say about us. Look, I'm involved in this industry. I hate to use the word industry. I'm involved in this this fight because of my mother, my my respect and love for her courage, who has been called a zealot by cardinals, who has been in, just been castigated by people that are that are evangelical or, or the hierarchy of the Catholic Church over, over the decades, and held her ground. And she didn't do it out of hubris. She did it out of if you were to ask her, she'd say love of the baby. So I would encourage anyone out of love of the babies, out of love of the basic just sort of root of our existence, which is our creation. We have to defend that and have no fear. We know that fear comes from the enemy, and it's a, new, a weapon formed against us that shall not prosper Amen. if we but trust in the Lord. And if you're the last man standing, last woman standing, so be it. I've said from day one, if not us, who? Mm. So it's got to be us. It's got to be God's people. Catholic, evangelical. I've met some fantastic uh, Jewish folks, Muslim folks that love life. I've met some people that are agnostic, that, that are mm-hmm. as pro-life as you could possibly imagine. Yes. We just have to love and respect life. I love that. I love that. That's such a passionate plea and a great way for us to conclude uh, the first of what we hopefully will we have uh, many more conversations with Hugh Brown, the executive vice president of the American Life League, and these outstanding comments about uh, basically calling the, the president of the United States and the Speaker of the House to task, but also us in the church as well, who are you know negligent in terms of speaking up against the evil of abortion and the great news that came from the Supreme Court that should be protected uh, in terms of the sanctity of human life. Uh, we've got a link for American Life League up at thebottomlineshow.com. Hugh Brown, thank you. I know you're a busy guy, but thanks for making some time for us to talk about this important issue today here on The Bottom Line. Hey Amen. God bless you, Roger. Thank you for what you do. Real estate broker Brian Edgel is the smart choice when it comes to finding someone to list and sell your home. He will get you the top dollar for your home, ensuring the fair and timely sale of your most important asset. The most expensive part of selling your home is the commission you pay to your broker. With Brian Edgel, you pay only 2.9% total commission. Right now, there are more buyers than sellers on the market, which puts you at an advantage. 
Get the most money out of your property now while the market is in your favor. Brian negotiates with buyers for you, using his experience as a broker, not an agent, to get you the highest price and the most advantageous terms possible. Make the smart choice. Sell your home with real estate broker Brian Edgel for only 2.9% total commission. Call Brian today at 800-969-3992. That's 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Brian Edgel, DRE 01391126, NMLS 1599100. Well, my thanks again to Hugh Brown, the executive vice president of the American Life League. ALL.org is where you find him for his thoughts and his comments regarding President Biden and uh, the idea that the man who claims to be a Catholic but pro-abortion is really calling into question this may turn out to be a campaign issue in 2024 as more and more Catholics rethink their position as members of the Democrat Party. But some people are kind of stuck in the past on this. Some people have a hard time moving forward. Some people are so worried about the future that they can't make the past, you know, that they, they miss the present altogether. Uh, Jean, Jeannie Stevens is a pastor and an author. She has a brand new book on this very topic. It's called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. She's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about this great concept. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law has a reputation for excellence, not just among previous clients, but also among colleagues. I'm an attorney. I've had clients that have issues in the area that Stephanie works in, and she's my first referral source. First of all, the area that she works in is an area where it's not that easy to find attorneys that I feel comfortable with. I think she has a lot of empathy, which helps because sometimes we attorneys don't have as much as we should have. She's extremely detail-oriented. She's very conscientious and just does a really kind of exceptional, almost overboard job in, in preparing cases. I've never had anybody come back with any negative comments. Everybody's been very happy with, you know, her professionalism and the way that she approaches cases. Choose the personal injury attorney with personal integrity. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law, 877-214-4935. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is germane to many of us, especially in the land of too much information, uh, too much to process all at once, and how do we try to live in the moment knowing that we do have a past and we are looking ahead to the future as well. Uh, today here on the program, we're going to talk about a brand new book called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. The author of the book is Jeannie Stevens, and uh, she joined me here on a conversation to talk about this book. Uh, Jeannie Stevens, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Roger. It is just a joy to be here with you and your listeners. Jeannie Stevens is founding and co-lead pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago, one of the fastest growing urban churches in the U.S. She's been on staff at Willow Creek in North Point. Uh, she and her husband, Jared, have two kids. And we've got a link for her website up at uh, thebottomlineshow.com for JeannieStevens.com. Uh, why do we do this, Jeannie? Why, why do we have this, this kind of... Uh, hard time, difficulty, if you will, uh, with, you know, we try to put one foot in the past and one foot in the future, and then we can't live in the present because both of our feet are already accounted for. That's right. And that's such a great question, actually. And everyone does it. Uh, this is a book for everyone. It is not just a book for some. 
we all struggle with rehashing the past and rehearsing the future. And I think one of the reasons for that is when we're rehashing the past, essentially we're trying to change something that has already happened. And when we're rehearsing the future, we're trying to control something that has yet to happen. And rehashing and rehearsing, uh, changing and controlling are ways that we can be human doings instead Mm -hmm. of human beings. And God invites us into being present with him to be still and know that he is God. But we have such a propensity towards activism. We have such a propensity towards doing as a way of changing and controlling. And so I think that's why so many of us struggle uh, with this, this tension of rehashing our past and rehearsing our future. And, and we struggle to receive this now moment. Uh, we can be here, but not all the way here. And yet being in the present moment, being in this now moment is always where God is. I like to tell people that the zip code of God is the present moment. Uh, <laughs> if you're trying to find, if you're trying to find God's address, if you're trying to find out where God is, God is in the present moment. And so if you can get yourself back into the present moment, you get to experience the presence of God. I'm talking with pastor and author Jeannie Stevens today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. And I love the way this book is laid out, Jeannie, because you, you when you t- take a look at each of these different scenarios, you know, the, the let's go back and stay in the past and keep rehashing and processing and trying to understand. I would imagine there's a certain level of uh, healthy, you know, looking back that you have to if you're processing grief or loss or something like that. But if you stay in the past, you've delineated five different areas where you all of a sudden that kind of becomes your outfit for the day. That becomes the cologne that you're wearing everywhere that you go. You know, the blame and shame and grief and bitterness and guilt. Help us understand the difference between a healthy acknowledgement of what's happened in the past and this whole rehashing it to the point where you can't move forward. Absolutely. You know, I'm an advocate and uh, a believer that doing the important work of understanding the patterns in our past, understanding things that have happened to us, uh, paying attention to behaviors, experiences that we've had in our story. Those are critical to healing and to growth. But the past is a great place to learn from. It's just a terrible place to live in. Mm. And so many of us, uh, we forego the learning and we just live in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and you brought up these different ways that we rehash. And, and they're kind of the, the telltale signs if you're rehashing, if you are living in your past. One of them is blame. Mm-hmm. And, and blame is really, uh, it's something that all of us do. Uh, we've all probably found ourselves wanting to direct responsibility to someone or something else. And, and it's a way that we leave the present moment and, and shift responsibility into blame. Worry uh, is one of those out in the future, uh, ways that we rehearse the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame is uh, essentially a way that we rehash the past. It's self-hatred at my expense. And then denial is a way that we rehearse the future. And it's this defense mechanism to delay pain and avoid transformation. And so you can kind of see the different ways that we can go back into our past we're out into our future. 
Pastor Jeannie Stevens, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. That's a fascinating insight, uh, Jeannie, uh, with regard to the you're tethered to one or the other or both simultaneously. Yeah. I mean, the fact yeah. that you, if you do spend too much time in the past, and of course, then there's the guilt component too. And I'm thinking yeah. for Christians, my goodness, I mean, if anybody should understand give this, uh, forgiveness and, and the washing away of guilt, you know, and the shame yeah. that goes along with it, if we really don't understand how that works in our personal lives, how could we possibly understand the work of Christ on the cross? And yet here we are with how many people still stuck in that pattern. And I remember, I'll never forget the woman I was counseling with. She was later in life. It was kind of on hospice and she was in her eighties suffering from poor health. Her first husband had died in a rather tragic accident and her son had been a part of that accident to a car wreck. And she had remarried, remarried and had gone on, but she always was that kind of tough old bird, you know, type of whatever. And I asked her, I said, you know, what, what are you feeling right now? And she said, regret. And I said, what do you mean regret? Mm. And she said, you know, I've never forgiven my first husband for leaving me. And I thought, oh my goodness, he died 60 years ago. Yeah. And yet she still, there's kind of an example, I think of what you're talking about, that rehashing the past. She spent three-fourths of her life rehashing a past event that she had no control over and that God had had healing and forgiveness waiting for her for it, and she just couldn't embrace it. And I mean, so th what you're talking about here, it sounds very practical, just kind of on the yeah. you know psychological health level, but it's also very beneficial eternally as well. Absolutely. You know, the, the story that you just told, it's a great example of what unforgiveness does in our life. Unforgiveness, it really chains us to our pain. And the story that you just shared, uh, that, that woman, she was really chained uh, for all of those years to her pain and to that unforgiveness. And when we step into the present moment and we experience forgiveness, we, we bring forgiveness to the past pains uh, in our lives or past relationships or even present relationships that are still in this day, but there's some pain in the past. What it does is it reframes that pain for us. And so we're no longer chained to the pain. We now get to reframe the pain. And, and ultimately, Jesus is who did that for us. Right. Jesus is the, is the ultimate reframer of all of our pain. But you're exactly right. You know, so many of us are, are walking around with these, these past burdens. It's almost like we're carrying around these backpacks um, loaded mm. up with, with blame or shame or grief. Um, you know, unprocessed uh, grief in our lives is, is literally like carrying a backpack that is weighing us down. Bitterness, guilt, uh, these are also other ones. And, you know, I, I'll never forget a, a journey, a, a quick story in, in my own life. You know, I, I lost my, my dad and my brother in um, sudden loss, um, both of them about uh, 16 years apart. Mm. And um, my brother uh, passed in his sleep mm. and um, it was, he's my younger brother, um, no medical conditions, uh, just one of those situations where his heart stopped beating. And it was one of those things that when my brother passed, it reignited some of my old grief um, that I was still carrying from the loss of my dad 16 years earlier. And I had done a lot of grief work, but there, there was still some pain that I was carrying in my life. And that mm -hmm. present loss made me aware of even the past loss. And mm. a, a number of months after my brother passed, I, I happened to be 
in an incredible experience. I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro uh, with a group from World Vision, and I, I am not a mountain climber, uh, <laughs> so it was an incredible, incredible experience, and I I'll was bet. learning something about myself uh, in new ways every day. Um, this was, you know, a good six, seven weeks after my my brother had passed, and I will never forget just being on the side of the mountain one day, and uh, somebody started playing that song, The Reckless Love of God, mm. and there's a line in that song that says, there's no mountain I won't climb up coming after you. And there was just something in that moment, um, hearing that lyric, where I just felt the ever-present help of God mm. leading me there on the side of that mountain, um, holding my grief, holding mm. my grief mm -hmm. with me. And I just wept and I um, felt the pain of the loss and mm. felt it all the way through my body. And, you know, one of the guides that was walking with us came and took my backpack off of me mm. and carried it the rest of the way. And when we got to camp, I asked him, uh, when, when did you take my backpack off? I didn't even remember you carrying it. And he said, I took it off when you were, um, when you were crying and when you were feeling your grief. And I just said, thank you so much for carrying this weight, for carrying this backpack. I said, what is your name? He said, my name is Emmanuel. Mm. Oh my. Oh, perfect. And you know, perfect. Roger, yeah. I just had one of those moments where I thought, of course, God is with us. Mm -hmm. God is with us. Amen. And when we don't allow God to carry the weight of grief in our life or, or guilt or bitterness or shame or blame, we end up carrying it ourselves and we live in the past instead of the present moment where God wants to re reveal himself over and over and over again. Boy, that's a powerful story and a great illustration from Jeannie Stevens today here on The Bottom Line. Pastor Jeannie Stevens, the author of a brand new book called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, let's get into that present part. Now that we've talked a little bit about how forecasting the future can leave us paralyzed, but rehashing the past can leave us really stuck. What about receiving the present? What does that look like, especially when it may not be pleasant. It may be rather difficult to deal with. More of my conversation with Pastor G.D. Stevens in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Pastor G.D. Stevens, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called What's Here Now, and it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. Um, we've talked a lot about rehashing the past and rehearsing the future, and so we're not going to uh, rehash the past any longer in this conversation. <laughs> I see I'm putting your principles to practice here. Let's there talk you go. About, let's talk about this receiving the future or the receiving the present part, because uh, for some people that sounds good. Okay, I've gotten rid of all the pain in my past. I don't have to worry about the future, but the present is the present. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's all good or all bad. How do we step into receiving the present? Yeah, I love your question. Uh, and what I'll say is that practicing this question, what's here now, is an invitation to do just that, to practice. You know, when I first started recognizing and realizing that I struggled uh, to be in the present moment, I thought, you know, if I could just put on my to-do list each morning, be present and check the box, and then it's done <laughs> and over, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that would be great. But practicing presence is something that we do over and over and over again. Yeah. And there's some really amazing and simple ways to do it. The first is to just ask yourself this question. What's here now? To, to pause, to breathe, and to actually ask yourself, okay, what's here now in this present moment? What am I willing to face? What am I not wanting to face? What am I struggling with? What's something that I'm really grateful for? What's something that I'm experiencing in this now moment to draw me back to the here and the now? And then I, I invite people to pay attention through paying, uh, by, by asking themselves, what are you sensing in your body? What are you feeling in your heart? And what are you thinking in your mind? You know, the, the body is uh, an incredible way for us to actually just pay attention to what's going on. And, and the body is amazing because it doesn't lie. The body's incapable of telling you a lie. If it has a headache, it has a headache. Uh, if, if your back is sore, your back is sore. Uh, if you're feeling tired, you're feeling tired. It's not lying to you. Your body is actually telling you Right. You are overrun. And so we need to start to pay attention to the signals the body is telling us. Uh, the, the second is, what am I feeling in my heart? And, you know, emotions are really just energy in motion. Uh, it's, it's just energy in motion. And so many of us think that an emotion is looking for an answer, but an emotion is actually just looking for healthy space to be right. felt. It just wants us to notice and to name it. Uh, it's when we ignore our emotions, when we push them down. You know, I, I like to, to tell people that emotions are almost like a beach ball that you push underwater. If you push that emotion underwater, it's going to pop out somewhere else in your life. And yes. so an emotion is just energy in motion, and it's looking to be named and noticed and then given some loving nurture. You know, if you're feeling sad, can you just name that? I'm feeling sad. Uh, I, I'm noticing that it's showing up with tears in my eyes. Um, and, and can I just give myself some loving nurture in this now moment? If you're feeling excited, can you just notice, wow, I'm feeling really excited about this. I'm, I'm naming this and I'm noticing it. And I'm just going to give myself some loving nurture that I'm really excited about this thing that is coming. So many of us, we, we want to give our emotions answers before we name and notice them. And an emotion just needs to be named and noticed. And then the third with, you, with your thoughts. Um, you know, we think 60 to 80,000 thoughts in a day. That's a lot of thoughts, Roger. Yes, it That's certainly That's a is. lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, we believe every thought that we have. Uh, and, and a thought doesn't need to be, every thought you have doesn't need to be believed. I like to think about thoughts as, as like airplanes overhead, right? And, mm. and so many of us, we clear every thought that we have for landing. And, and God actually says, you know, take captive every thought and make right. it obedient to Christ. And so many of us, we're allowing our thoughts to take us captive because mm -hmm. we're allowing every thought to land on the runway of our mind. And so many of us, what we need to learn how to do with our thoughts is to just go, oh, I'm having the thought. I am not the thought. I'm just having the having thought. thought. Mm -hmm. And is this thought true? Is this thought helpful? Is this thought worthy of landing on the runway of my mind? And if it isn't, I'm going to clear it for takeoff. And, and so much of that process of asking, what am I sensing in my body? What am I feeling in my heart? 
What am I thinking in my mind? It's a way that we return to the present moment. And you know, the presence of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, God was in your past. God is going to be in your future. But the only place to experience God is in this now moment. And I like to tell people, if it's not happening now, it's not happening. (laughs) And, And so the way to experience God is to get in this now moment. Yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, Pastor Jeannie Stevens, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love that runway analogy because it. let's face it, I mean, in a world right now where we have capacity, we think to multitask, quote unquote, you know, to, to do a lot right. of things. And we wind up doing a whole bunch of stuff not very well, as opposed to doing one or two things right. But the idea that the thoughts are coming in and the thoughts aren't necessarily worthy of staying. I mean, that's what taking every thought captive really means is saying, hey, I want to take the right ones captive and the wrong ones, you know, on your way off you go, as our English friends would say. Uh, we've got That's a couple right. we've got a couple minutes left in our conversation, GD. What what do you say to somebody who says, wow, you have just leveled me. I spend so much time worrying about the future or so much time stuck in the past. I want to receive the present. What's a good first step for someone to take? Yeah, I I love that question. And, you know, God is, as I mentioned, our ever-present help in trouble. And um, that means that whatever you are facing, God is already with you. And so much of the process of practicing the present moment is just the recognition that God is already here. I think so many of us, uh, we think that the presence of God is something that we have to go out and find, or it's something that we have to, you know, to, to, you know, uh, acquire. And, and the truth is, is that the presence of God is already here. We we can't attain the presence of God because we're already in the presence of God. What's often absent is our awareness of the present presence of God. And so I would just invite anyone that's listening to just pause, to breathe and to acknowledge and recognize God is here. Even if you're walking through a challenging season, even if your present uh, circumstances are not what you would want them to be. Uh, I, I often like to tell people, you know, for years, I used to think that the peace that passes understanding that is spoken about in scripture, I used to think that once I had understanding, I would have peace. But what I have realized is that peace comes not from understanding. Peace comes from the presence of God. And and to invite yourself into that present, no matter what's going on, no matter what you're experiencing, you can say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be all of me. And I'm going to be fully connected to who God has created me to be. And so that would be the first thing that I would say. And anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Yes. Pause, breathe, ask yourself, what's here now? and come back into this now moment with God. I love that. Clear and concise from Pastor Jeannie Stevens today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jeannie Stevens, a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for uh, having a little Zoom chat with us about this great new book and uh, God's richest blessings to you and your family and your church congregation as well from all of us here at The Bottom Line. 
Thank you so much, Roger. Great concept, great dialogue with pastor and author Jeannie Stevens today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have a copy of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. If you've ever found yourself having that difficult conversation with yourself about how do I make peace with the past without continuing to rehash it, keep going back there? How do I look forward to the future with anticipation without getting to the point where I'm rehearsing the future, as Jeannie Stevens likes to say, to the point where I'm worried about it, I'm pretending it's going to happen a certain way, I feel an obligation to act a certain way, or I'm just in denial about what's happened in the past where I am right now and What's going to happen in the future? This resource will help you clear your thinking. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to pastor and author Jeannie Stevens for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book we're giving away right now 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line and just to review um, the book is in those three segments basically stop rehashing the past stop rehearsing the future and start receiving the present what does god have in store for you now because as she noted in our conversation in god's economy it's all the present I mean, if God is omnipresent, then the present is really all we have. When we rehash the past, we can get stuck on any of these five uh, dead ends. Blame, shame, grief, bitterness, or guilt. If we start rehearsing the future to the point where we are no earthly good today, we could start worrying about things we have no control over. We can start denying things that are uh, things that actually... Uh, we think they're there, but they're not, or we don't want to think they're there and they are. We can be pretending with other people and with God. We could do things out of obligation instead of out of divine intervention, and we could get into the waiting and control world. Finally then, once we stop rehashing the past and start rehearsing the future, we start receiving the present. We start looking at emotions for what they really are their feelings. They're, they're kind of a temperature gauge. But when it comes to emotions, they just are. You know, sometimes people say, well, my emotions got the best of me and then I did this. Well, wait a minute. Don't, don't blame your emotions. Your emotions are how you feel in that moment. And they are what they are. What about your thoughts? And I love this when we were discussing this. She said, think of your thoughts as runways at an airport and every one of those thoughts that comes in, excuse me, you think of the thoughts as airplanes and your brain is a runway. It's already overcrowded. Just because you have a thought doesn't necessarily mean you're responsible for it. Like you were conjuring it up. Sometimes the thought comes into your mind and you say, hey, wait a minute, is that God speaking to me? Is that the enemy getting in my way? And then what do you do? Well, as G.D. Stevens says, when that thought comes in, you take that thought captive and you let that thought know, yes, there's room for you to land on my runway or no, there is not. 
And if there isn't, then you know what has to happen to those thoughts. And then gratitude, thankfulness for what God has for you right now. And sometimes gratitude for things that aren't coming your way. And then finally, I love the belonging sense. When you want intimacy with God, it means into me see. I've heard that so many different times in so many different ways, but uh, there's something meaningful about the call to stop rehashing the past and start uh, receiving the present, and then you won't rehearse the future. Jeannie Stevens' book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called What's Here Now. We're giving away a copy. Teresa's just about to close the phone lines up on this giveaway. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For our KLTC audience and the K-Bright listeners that stay on the network with us, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. We're talking about the web uh, telescope photographs and seeing God in a whole different light. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues.